Hello, and welcome to Speaking Startup, Missouri Business Alert's podcast covering the news and issues important to Missouri entrepreneurs. I'm Megan Liz Smith, and joining me as always is Michael Stacy. Hello there. And Annika Merrilies. Good to be back. All right, we have three topics lined up for today's roundtable discussion. First, we get an update on the Missouri Technology Corporation. It ended a fiscal year with a lot less state funding than past years. What will that mean for the startup community? Finally, Digital Sandbox KC was given two grants this week, securing the program's future for years to come. After that, I'll talk to Missouri Business Alert reporter Christopher Teig about what Missouri businesses are doing to cut out plastic straws. Then, an interview with Chris Mertens, the founder of Blossom, a St. Louis-based startup that's bringing blockchain technology to the energy industry. It's Friday the 13th. Are either of you guys superstitious at all? I have cracked a mirror and walked under a ladder so far today, so I think I'm (laughs) two-thirds of the way there. And shout out to the, the Black Cats as well. First, the Missouri Technology Corporation just wrapped up the fiscal year. It was marked by a significant reduction in state funding, and funding is being slashed even more for next year. MTC is known for its partnerships with startups, but now that the budget is cut, that may change. Right. So I recently spoke with Bill Anderson, MTC's executive director, about what their state funding has been like over the past few years and what it means for their programs. So for the fiscal year that just ended, their funding from the state was slashed by over 80 percent. 80 percent. So what does that leave for the MTC? So the legislature allocated $2.5 million for MTC um, for fiscal year 2018, and that's a reduction of almost $11 million. So they're short $11 million in state funding. What has that meant for the programs that they offer? So Anderson told me that this means less resources, at least from a state perspective, towards their goals of helping entrepreneurs and helping communities help their entrepreneurs. They had to make cuts to a couple of programs, but the main area that Anderson emphasized was the decreased co-investment activity that they were able to do. He said that they had about $7 million less in co-investment activity for fiscal 18. Hmm. And it looks like for fiscal 19, they're going to receive less funding yet again, although maybe not as extreme as the reductions they saw last year. Right. So as you alluded to, the budget that was just signed included $2.25 million for MTC. So that's down $250,000 from last year's $2.5 million. This, it sounds like, is probably going to affect their Innovation Center program. Now, the Innovation Center program, can you kind of expand on that a little bit? Yeah, what is that? Um, So it's a network of nine facilities all across Missouri that provide resources for early stage companies to help them get off the ground. Anderson said he expects to see a dip in their funding. Hmm. So to summarize, what does all this mean for entrepreneurs? So MTC's budget cuts will likely mean fewer state resources like investments and community support for Missouri entrepreneurs and startups. This next topic is a bit short, but it gives us an interesting glimpse at the future of Missouri's workforce. In May, the Hawthorne Foundation, the Missouri Department of Economic Development, and the Missouri Department of Higher Education launched Talent for Tomorrow, an initiative that hopes to help address the state's workforce needs. Regional meetings have been taking place all across the state over the last few weeks. The last one was held here in Columbia on Wednesday, and Missouri Business Alert was there. That's right. And one of our colleagues, Lily O'Neill, attended the Talent for Tomorrow meeting in Columbia this week. She said that one attendee, Rob Dixon, the, the director of Missouri's Department of Economic Development, emphasized the need for education to be built into the workforce system so that workers can be more adaptable as industry demands change. It seemed as though the tone of the Columbia meeting was finding a way to bridge the gap between the tracks people take in higher education and matching people with jobs in rural areas around the state. And that's reflective of a larger piece of Talent for Tomorrow's goal, which is aligning education with the demands of the private sector and the public workforce system. 
Right. And in terms of what these meetings mean, Talent for Tomorrow is intended to culminate into a set of uh, recommendations for Missouri's workforce strategy, and the final report is set to be unveiled in September. And I think this is uh, kind of related to a larger issue that we see not just in Columbia, not just in rural communities, but across the state, and that is the ability of startups to grow and the extent to which the talent being here in the state affects that ability. Startland News out of Kansas City ran an interesting op-ed last month in which Jacob McDaniel, an entrepreneur who started a company in Kansas City and then ultimately moved it to the Bay Area, sort of bemoaned the lack of tech talent here in the region. It's a pretty polarizing issue. Some people will say, of course, there's the talent here. Others like McDaniel will argue, no, you have to go elsewhere if you want to really grow a startup. Um, This is yet another attempt to sort of remedy the issue of not enough talent in Missouri. Yeah, I think this is a concern shared by a lot of people. I talked to Bill Moore this week, who runs the Columbia STEM Alliance, which is a program based here that tries to get kids in the middle school and high school ages interested in science and technology. And the reason behind it was because they were finding that although there were so many STEM jobs available here, there weren't the people looking to take the jobs. So to summarize, what does all this mean? Talent is essential to the growth of early stage companies, and Missouri is trying to do a better job of cultivating that talent right here in the state. Finally, we have some good news for the Kansas City startup scene. Digital Sandbox KC, a proof-of-concept center, has announced two grants that will help fund the program for many years to come. That's right. Digital Sandbox KC was recently awarded a $450,000 grant from the Ewing Marion Kaufman Foundation, as well as a $500,000 grant from the Missouri Technology Corporation, which we spoke about earlier. Digital Sandbox KC takes an interesting approach to supporting early stage companies. They seed a lot of startups with a very small amount of money, and they don't actually take an equity stake, but they are essentially trying to help these businesses prove their business model and really get off the ground. So they're working with some of the very early stage companies that are trying to see whether they have a viable concept. Yeah, it seems like they're trying to help with these companies that may have a problem right at the initial stages and fund them to get them through that. So it's it's smaller, but it's really helping a lot of these companies get off the ground. And Digital Sandbox KC is focused on information technology. So they've supported people working on mobile apps, hardware, big data, healthcare IT, and, and things of that sort. Uh, they report that since their 2013 launch, they've worked with over 600 entrepreneurs and created or helped to create 585 new jobs in Kansas City. Wow. So to summarize? Uh, To summarize, startups are, to a certain extent, a numbers game. A lot of companies are founded, a lot of companies fail, and a small number will survive and thrive. And those companies will create jobs and boost the economy and bring all the benefits that come with growing companies. By making a lot of small bets on startups in Kansas City, Digital Sandbox is increasing the probability of survival and thriving. Yeah, they're trying to turn Kansas City into a real startup hub. All right, that's it for the roundtable. After a short break, we'll hear from Missouri Business Alert reporter Christopher Teig about how companies in the state are getting rid of plastic straws. Then I'll interview the founder of Blossom about bringing blockchain technology to the energy industry. Hi, everybody. I'm Drew Pilevsky, and I'm here to let you know that Speaking Startup is now looking for sponsors. If you're looking for a creative way to market to an audience of informed business decision makers across the state of Missouri, Speaking Startup is the place for you. For more information about how you can promote your company through Speaking Startup, check out the link in the description. Now, back to the program.
For years, plastic straws were about as controversial as any other type of plastic utensil. But in 2018, plastic straws have become a cause for people to gather around. In the city of Seattle, they've been banned outright, and Starbucks has pledged to phase them out completely by 2020. In St. Louis and Kansas City, at least 42 restaurants have pledged to reduce their plastic straw use since the beginning of the year. Missouri Business Alert reporter Christopher Tig is here to talk about it. Hey Chris, thanks for joining me. You're welcome, Megan. Cool. So, what's going on in Missouri with plastic straws? Well, Missouri probably won't be joining Seattle anytime soon when it comes to banning plastic straws. Uh, the legislature kind of made sure of that back in 2015. What um, happened back in 2015? Well, they set the precedent. They they kind of there was different cities like Columbia who were considering banning plastic bags, and yeah. the state legislature stepped in and said, uh, "You can't do that." So, huh. currently. Um, it Interesting. Is, yeah. So I didn't know that. So then that applies to all cities in Missouri. They're not allowed to ban plastic items? Well, plastic bags at this point. They, yeah. they attempted to expand that um, last session yeah. uh, unsuccessfully. But still, it, it, it's kind of clear that the atmosphere is that, you know, uh, when it comes yeah, to state legislatures. Something similar would not yeah, probably go through. Exactly. But that's not stopping uh, private restaurants from yeah. kind of taking action themselves. And that's that's what we're seeing here in Missouri. So I, I kind of called around and spoke with different restaurants to find out what was happening and found out there's several campaigns going on in, in some of the bigger cities here with restaurants jumping on board and, hmm, like and what? kind of saying goodbye on? to this draw. I'd say one of the biggest movements is over in St. Louis right now. Uh, there's a group called the Green Dining Alliance, and they've got about 115 members in their group. And what this group does is they they kind of like support and advertise for restaurants and other food establishments that kind of abide by their environmentally friendly policies. For instance, they don't allow their restaurants to use styrofoam, or they also kind of actively wish to limit the amount of single-use plastic products that they use, including straws, right? You know, I was speaking with someone over there at the Alliance, and they, they said that within just the last couple months, there's been this huge surge in interest over over uh, kind of bucking plastic straws. So uh, they've got 42 um, restaurants uh, across, I think, hmm. Kansas City and St. Louis that um, have kind of joined on board and are, wow. are actively making efforts to reduce uh, their, their plastic waste by... Uh, by not offering straws or even switching to alternative straws like yeah. paper. Wow, so 42 restaurants have pledged to reduce their plastic waste. That's very interesting. And that's just in St. Louis alone. Yeah. Um, you know, in Colombia, there's a movement that started last month by this guy Mark Alexu with Logboat Brewing. And, huh. you know, they're, they're a beer company, but they also serve cocktails. And uh, yeah. he was talking about how he realized it was industry standard to just sort of stick a, a plastic straw you know, one of those small stir yeah, straws it just comes just with right it. into they a cocktail every a time yeah. Out. yeah he decided he wanted to do something about mm -hmm. it he's been going around talking to other businesses and he's got you know half a dozen restaurants that have also pledged to only serve straws upon request it's uh it's what he called it. it's the sir initiative it's straws upon request initiative so mm. that's happening in Columbia right now also last month over in Springfield this group the James River Basin Partnership, they teamed up with a local Irish pub down there called Finnegan's Wake, uh, and they started a movement too called The Last Straw, where they are trying to get restaurants to either switch to paper straws or compostable plastic straws that biodegrade, or just sort of reduce their their straw use. So again, kind of that idea of like not giving it out automatically and, and waiting for customers to ask for it, just as like mm -hmm. a, a, a kind of paradigm shift in how they serve customers and and therefore reducing their straw use. Huh. 
Hmm. Um, so 12 restaurants so far have, have kind of agreed to this over there. So we're seeing Missouri is not taking government action necessarily, but we are yeah. seeing the private industry kind of step up. This is obviously becoming a more popular topic and more people are saying goodbye to the straw. So, Yeah, so this is a national trend and that makes me wonder, are a lot of these companies doing this because it's the popular trend right now or is it genuinely just philanthropic and they want to help the environment? And I don't know. What have you found talking to these business owners and different people involved with it? Sure. Well, there's, you know, a few different things, especially if you go online. There's a lot of debate over this right now. A lot of people kind of uh, make a huff over it. They're saying, you know, when it comes to plastic waste, straws aren't even that big of a deal. Plastic bags, for instance, are significantly more or, or fishing nets. Yeah. Um, other people talk about how straws are um, they're needed for. Uh, disabled people, you know, if you have a dental condition and you need a straw to drink, you know, it's it's very inconvenient if you yeah. have to bring your own straw around with you everywhere you go. So there's there's complaints there. I think that's but that's part of this conversation. And some people are saying, well, it doesn't matter. We're still doing something towards helping the environment. So, for instance, Logboat has switched to compostable straws. That's one thing that they, they decided to do. And the straws are more expensive. So, for instance, they're paying, I think, $13 for a case of straws, I, mean, I think about 5,000 5, straws in a case. Now, that same case for compostable straws is about $70. So clearly, that is a significantly higher yeah. price there. But they're using so fewer straws that in the long run, they're, they're actually going to save. So, for instance, they're going through about a case every year. They're going through, you know, 4,000-some straws every year. Uh, and then six months ago, they decided yeah. to switch. Now they're only using... You know, you know, it's 2018, so they've they've only got six months to work with. But just over those six months, yeah. uh, they've only used 150 straws. I mean, that's a significantly fewer amount. So you can see how, from a business aspect, it's also a decent decision. But also, you can do something environmentally friendly while also having um, an alternative for for disabled people or anyone else that that kind of wants us to use a straw or needs to use a straw. All right. Thanks for joining me on Speaking Startup, Chris. <laughs> You're welcome, Megan. It seems like everyone is talking about blockchain these days. It's most commonly associated with cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, but the uses of blockchain technology go far beyond that. One St. Louis startup wants to explore those possibilities, starting in the energy industry. I talked to Chris Mertens, the founder of Blossom, all about it. Thank you for joining me on Speaking Startup. Can I start out by having you explain what Blossom is? Blossom is a bartering marketplace that allows any user to exchange goods and services securely and easily with automated smart contracts. And how did it get started? Basically, during college, my co-founder and I, we uh, created a CRM platform. Hmm. Basically, the idea was to track a user's pathway through like a network of businesses in the same area, so like a strip mall or, you know, any yeah. populated area where, you know, there's a lot of stores in one place. If, you know, it saw a lot of people going from one place to another frequently, so, you know, our idea was we go from Witch Witch to Smoothie King all the time. Like, yeah. daily daily occurrence. We knew a lot of other people that did that all the time as well. So, it's kind of like, oh, well, Witch Witch and Smoothie King should offer a joint deal to... Um, yeah. You know, promote synergy between the businesses and to help out the the people who are frequenting those businesses as well. So, huh. and we kind of 
started with this basic idea, and we tried to go out and um, and sell it to some local businesses and some local uh, some local groups. And we kind of realized that it really wasn't exactly what we were trying to do. And also, we got a lot of data security concerns when we started off because we were yeah. still in college. We didn't really have a a whole lot of whole lot of uh, knowledge behind that back then. But um, we kept kind of going with our product and reformulating it, and um, we ended up forming really close ties with uh, a group of three ex-Boeing engineers who um, have a revolutionary data encryption that they're like, hey, we're having trouble selling this to big corporations, and we're looking for a small small company um, who could utilize this. And uh, basically, we're working directly with these guys. We have been for the past two years, but... As soon as we integrated this data encryption into our into our product, we kind of realized like, oh wow, this is a completely different different thing now. Yeah. And now that we're not now that we're not worried about data security or you know anyone anyone's data getting stolen or broken into, this is kind of opens up a different realm of of possibilities. So yeah, we took the idea of you know allowing people to or you know giving people this this other kind of power as a consumer and made that really big on the grandest scale we possibly could. So like, all right, now we're not just talking data anymore. We could do goods. We could do services. We could do IP, any data. And I think that's where it gets confusing too, because what exactly was the product that you were offering when you combined with the data encryption software? Like, was it, was it a formula that you'd created? Cause I know it's connected to blockchain. What we're using the blockchain for is so we're actually doing this. The, the realm of possibilities opens up from the way that we're using all of this. And, you know, yeah. we're doing things in very specific ways and using things for very specific um, tasks. For example, the blockchain aspect of our platform. Almost every other company who has, you know, or is advertising a blockchain solution also has some form of cryptocurrency associated with it. Yeah. We are not doing that. A blockchain, by definition, is a distributed ledger. It is something that stores data. I'm so interested in the idea of blockchain because I've heard about it, like you said, like only in terms of cryptocurrency, but I understand that blockchain can be used in so many other ways, but what's the first step in saying, oh, we want to figure out a way to utilize blockchain for our company? So the first step is just, like I said, realizing what a blockchain is. It's just a distributed ledger. It's just, you know, it's just something that stores data, and, you know, each node basically has a certain amount of information on it. Huh. What a yeah, smart contract okay. does is just pretty much put triggers into that data and say, like, oh, hey, now at this point, you know, location trigger. That's pretty much all that it really is. Technically, it's incredibly complicated how the entire yeah. network really, you know, functions and everything, but at its heart, that's all it is. So, so what like, exactly are you using it for with energy? So the energy industry is actually moving in a really interesting way. So, you know, solar panels and windmills, more renewable energy, batteries, all these things are referred to as distributed energy resources, DERs. And basically, yeah. the application of these products is becoming way more widespread. And utilities are recognizing this and seeing that, you know, generation on a utility scale moving forward into the future is not going to be nearly the same as it is now. A lot of utilities are seeing this this change happening and trying to adopt a more forward-thinking mentality and saying, like, hey, we already have these grid lines put here. 
Yeah. You have that value established, and there's no need for anyone to go and, you know, build new grid lines. The ones yeah. that are there are fine. So, so they're kind of seeing their role shift as from, you know, utility providers, power providers, to more grid providers. Huh. And our application in the energy space is kind of uh, catered towards that mentality of kind of making the grid itself way more valuable and making these lines instead more powerful than they already are. So what does that actually mean then? Like what will the app, what does the app actually do for the businesses? Right now what we're developing is basically a way for you to, if you have like a solar panel or a windmill or a battery, you could load that into Blossom and then make agreements with other people around that. Yeah. And go through, we have a cool little agreement wizard and it just takes you through what, um, you know, selecting a resource, setting your price, um, you know, making a title, setting the type of exchange, and then you just post it to the marketplace, and then someone else can engage in it. And basically, it's a bidding process to where you put out, like, an asking price saying, I'm providing solar energy from this location at, you know, this price. And, you know, someone else could come in and say, well, you know, you're saying six, six cents per kilowatt hour. I want to, you know, five and a half. Interesting. So, yeah, now I get it. This is something that can really be applied to so many different fields, but you're choosing to take it to the energy industry. Exactly, and that's just where we're starting. You know, like I said, we're we're a bartering marketplace, and we want to establish really interesting relationships between industries and, you know, start in the energy yeah. industry and then go elsewhere. Is this something that you thought you would have been doing when you were a kid? Like, did you want to start your own business and be an entrepreneur? Always, uh, when I was uh, when I was a kid, I would just uh, sit around and just draw inventions and stuff. <laughs> so I knew that I wanted uh, I knew that I ultimately wanted to like sit around and just design cool stuff. Um, yeah. I didn't know in what capacity that would be in though, and um, yeah, did here's here's where I uh, where I wound up, and it's definitely uh, definitely not a normal job. Definitely <laughs> incredibly. Uh, incredibly fun and uh yeah wouldn't trade it for the world awesome well thank you for joining me yeah no problem megan all right it is time for our final segment can i get your digits annika can i get your digits this week my number is 10 Apple's App Store turned 10 years old this week. Our colleague VK broke down the App Store market by country and found that American users spent $36 billion between July 2010 and December 2017 in the App Store. Wow, I can't believe it's already 10 years old. Yeah, the good news is the App Store is providing opportunity for a lot of entrepreneurs. The bad news is it's about to enter its angsty teen <laughs> stage. <laughs> so, right. Megan, can I get your digits? Of course. My number for this week is five. That's how many hours some customers waited outside of Build-A-Bear workshop locations yesterday for their Pay Your Age Day promotion. Five hours. The St. Louis-based teddy bear company was forced to end the promotion early because of the massive crowds. And this really shows the power and risks of viral marketing. A company as large as Build-A-Bear can afford to do something like this. But for early stage companies and startups, viral marketing can be very risky. Yeah, virality can be a definite double-edged sword. And Build-A-Bear got the wrong side of the sword this week. So, Michael... Can I get your digits? Why, oh, sure you can. Uh, my number for the week is 15, and 15 cents is the price per minute to ride a bird scooter. Uh, there's also a $1 fee to start the scooter, 
but Bird is the LA-based scooter startup that arrived in Kansas City this week. So that's right, the scooter craze has officially swept up Missouri. Wow. There are about 60 of the scooters stationed around Kansas City. That's generating a lot of excitement. If you look at social media, you'll see that. We'll see what scooters mean to Kansas City. Yeah, I didn't even know there was a scooter craze sweeping the nation. That's it for this week's episode. Let's end it with an entrepreneurship tip from KC entrepreneur Sandy Kemper, the founder of the financial technology company C2FO. He spoke about the importance of trust at Startland's Innovation Exchange event in June. Act like everyone is watching, because they are. This has been Speaking Startup from Missouri Business Alert. This episode was produced and edited by me, Megan Liz Smith. Thank you to Michael Stacy and Annika Merrilies for hosting. Our theme music was produced by Poddington Bear. We'll speak to you next week.